Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, glad to be here. So this weekend, as I was thinking about the show, I just became aware of how many new articles, new stories had come out about addiction in general. And it was hard to pick one thing. So I thought, well, we'll have another Addiction in the News um, session today, and we'll look at some of the very interesting, somewhat disturbing sometimes, um, information that's showing up in the news related to addiction. And David, I think you found a really interesting article about alcohol. Um, Well, I found this initially very interesting because it really highlights something we've been seeing quite a bit. Um, At the Atlanta Healing Center, we've been noticing that there's been a a big uh, uptake um, of people coming in for alcohol abuse, but more specifically, wine. We're having a lot of admissions to people who are just drinking wine they've been drinking they you know they have always drunk wine with their friends and and when they're talking about it now they're drinking wine at their um, women's gatherings they're drinking wine with their dinner they're drinking wine to get ready for bed wine is becoming like coca-cola in every aspect of these people's lives and we've been noticing that so it's part of our discussion has been how much more um pervasive wine is in our society um, and so the article in, in the news that I, I thought I was going to be reading because the, <laughs> the cover story has all these pictures of, of beautiful bottles of wine but it was talking about the um, the huge increase just since the turn of the century in the amount of drinking that's going on that it's gone up 50% just since um, the Five turn of the zero. century 5-0 Five zero. Um, and it, it goes through a lot of the regular stats that you see about how great the impact is on alcohol, uh, on our society from alcohol. $250 billion uh, lost a year in productivity, health care, and other expenses. 90,000 alcohol-related deaths every year. The numbers that you know we've heard and talked about for a long time that, that certainly seem like they're on the rise. Um, This article takes a little shift because they've decided the best way to curb alcohol is to raise the price and to throw more taxes on it. So, of course, my anti-tax brain started going, hey, you know, one of the other ways to stop to help control alcohol is to not have it quite so readily available. (laughs) Because what we're noticing is that you can buy alcohol anywhere now. It used to be you had to go to a a liquor store. Right. had to be, you know, licensed by the state liquor store. Um, And and then it was opened up to grocery stores on certain hours. Um, But but now I'm hearing you can get it in drugstores, convenient markets. You can order it online. Um, UPS delivery of, of alcohol, which is just you know, not something that was possible even five years ago. It's been um, increasingly, as you say, a part of the story, if not the story, that our patients tell when they come in requesting treatment, that they're having trouble with alcohol. One of the interesting things um, that I found, we have more people showing up requesting help for whom alcohol is their drug of choice, but... It's not until a week or two into their treatment when we think we're treating 
a stimulant addiction or an opiate addiction mm-hmm. that the patient is now having some unusual symptoms that don't fit with either an anxiety disorder or they don't fit with a typical withdrawal syndrome from that identified drug of choice. And then the questions come along, what else is going on? And they're in alcohol withdrawal. They have either minimized or not reported, certainly underreported, the amount of alcohol that they're using. And now we have to add another detox, which is a detox for alcohol. So it's it's really amazing, and I think that part of it is this increased availability. Well, I think that... Um in what you're talking about, I've noticed also. But it's the fact that they call because I have a stimulant addiction, um, either Adderall or crystal meth or whatever. Um, they don't talk about anything else. And and like you said, then, oh, down the road, all of a sudden they're going through this withdrawal. Some of these people don't even realize that they have an alcohol right. addiction or a problem until they stop. Because alcohol has been so much a part of their life every day for most of these folks, every day for not just a few months or even a year or two, but for many years. Mm -hmm. It never occurred to them that the way they drink, the amounts they drink, the frequency with which they drink is unusual. And it never occurs to them, even when we ask them about alcohol, it's just not on their radar that this is a problem. Well, and and in David's point, you know, seeing people that, that were wine drinkers, that have always been wine drinkers, um, when you ask them to self-report, they're saying, oh, three glasses of wine an evening, you know. And then you question them further, and it's really about six glasses of wine. It's about a bottle of wine because they're using these at-home wine that is not a six ounce glass of wine or a four ounce glass of red wine or five ounces of white wine are standard drinks and most people and many restaurants really over pour now, it's, it's always interesting. You hear the whining start when a restaurant is actually using right-sized glasses and pouring a usual standard drink. I, I've been at, uh, at dinners where people have remarked that, what? This isn't... They're shorting they're, me. Yeah, they're being really stingy with their pours tonight, not recognizing that the standard glass that you're getting... Uh, and I've looked in some restaurants, and now they offer a six-ounce glass, which is more than one serving, by the way, a six-ounce glass or a nine-ounce glass of wine. And um, people not realizing that that may be close to three drinks. And you're talking about these drinks that are already pre-poured and wrapped in plastic, so so people can go in and buy wine by the glass at their convenient mart. Like, this isn't going to promote drinking and driving or promote... <laughs> right. We're buying this for our picnic we're going to have outside your front door. You know, it's interesting, too, is that when you're talking to people about their, their wine use now, um, their friends are all drinking the same way. And, yes. and these these bridge clubs and these, these card clubs, um, they're opening a bottle and having it with their, for during their 
card time and they're having it with their dinner and the idea that they're drinking alcoholically um, to the point that they're going to have to worry about withdrawal is just the farthest thing from their mind because they're drinking just like everybody social. else is. And, and, you know, social drinking in particular, in, in my view, when it comes to wine, is, is vastly different than it once was. And the, the wine bottles often at the table, which is different than other drinks where you have to flag down a wait staff and, and send them to the bar or go to the bar yourself buying a bottle of wine that's at the table that you or the waiter or someone walking by can pour you more is another way that we see people there was actually another article that we didn't pull up in the newspaper last week that was talking about how america's consumption of wine now is changing the way it's being sold that you know now it's there's wine tasting parties and there's all of these different Opportunities for people to be so it's actually changing the market itself in, in terms of how people are getting it. Well, and if you if you listen to the radio on a in a drive in an automobile or whatever, I mean there are so many different wine clubs right now that you sign up and it's like the old record clubs used to be. You you get a bottle or two of of your favorite type of wine per month and. Then if you don't like something, I guess you can send it back and they'll resend you something. But it's it's this constant. Um, so then when people, people are saying, oops, I forgot to call and cancel it, they're not nearly <laughs> as upset as they once were. Exactly. <laughs> so we see this increase. I'm uh, studying for my addiction boards. Uh, get to take those again. So happy about that, by the way. But I was reading about the the rate of alcohol consumption in the United States. And within the last year, the question was asked, within the last year, have you had any alcohol? 88% of Americans said yes. 50% of Americans 65 and older said yes. Of course, the largest group was the 20, 20s to the 25-year-olds, and that about 75 percent were saying uh, yes frequently. So it is much more common. And sometimes people will say, well, everybody's doing it. I'm not doing anything different than everybody else. Now it's getting harder and harder to say, well, not everybody drinks. And I guess technically we can still say not everybody drinks. But certainly we see a lot of alcohol. And it's not... um, necessarily problematic but I like to remind people what low risk drinking really is Mm -hmm. and that is if you are a woman or if you're over 65, man or woman that's one standard drink which is the the four or five ounces of wine uh, one and a half ounces of distilled spirits and then depending on the beer, many of the beers now, the craft beers, uh, a, one can or a 12-ounce serving can actually be three, depending on the percentage of alcohol that's in them. But a usual 4 to 5% 12-ounce beer is one serving. So low-risk drinking would be one of those servings, not more than seven per week, 
for a man up to age 65, it's two of those servings. Mm-hmm. And though, when they are looking at the drinking that is, and I'm using air quotes here, folks, that is good for your heart, the, that's the rate that they're looking at. They're mm-hmm. not looking at more than that. And often, as I tell that to people, the look they get on their face tells me <laughs> that they have no idea. They had no idea that that was what was considered the healthy, if you will. And I again air quotes because it's not necessarily healthy. And there's a lot of questions around those studies that say that it is healthy alcohol consumption. Be that as it may, the healthy rate or the low risk rate is a very small amount actually compared to what most people consume. Well, and I think it's important to highlight that when we're talking about low risk, you're talking about in terms of health issues. Exactly. That this is your low risk in terms of having cardiac problems or, or cholesterol issues. It's not looking at whether or not you're you're on a pathway towards addiction or you're about to have some legal issues. Um it's it's just about is this going to be healthy for your heart and generally the the clients that we see and and it sounds like many of the people that we're hearing about the amount that they're using is is far far greater than the low risk categories and alcohol is an interesting substance in that it doesn't matter how much or how little you drink it's only going to metabolize one ounce of alcohol. Your, your liver is only going to metabolize one ounce of alcohol in three hours. And there's nothing that you can do to speed it up. And there's nothing you can do to sober up. That's how long it takes. And it's going to take that long. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about alcohol and addiction in the news. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to Detailing Addiction. We're on America's Web Radio, and today with me are Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about addiction in the news, and we started with alcohol, the idea that alcohol is certainly more readily available than ever before, and we're seeing more and more people affected by the use of alcohol. One of the things that's really interesting is um, we used to always think that alcohol was um, a male, male-oriented uh, drug, if you will, and a male-oriented problem, but that's not the case. No, it's not. Um, it, it, it's saying, this article that I was reading, um, was saying that there's about 11% increase in the amount of women that are drinking. Um, it's increased from about 65% to about 70, uh, 72% of women now drink. Um, and that's, that's, in, that's just in the last 10 years that has grown that much. Um, it's, it's also saying that if they're lower income or lower education, the chances are much greater that they will drink. Um, and, of, you know, it's, it's saying that there's been sort of an increase among certain minorities, um, different ethnic backgrounds, women, and young girls. So it's it's sort of across the board for everyone else, other than just male. Uh, and I think I think that the males are holding their own. They're holding their own. They they, they haven't backed down any, but everybody right. else seems to be catching up to them. That is of concern. It's of concern because one of the things that we're seeing is that women are starting to drink, and they're starting to drink early. And this has some fairly significant impacts. Well, and and part of it, it, what some of the studies that we've looked at show that it has impacts on their development and on their brain. But also, a, a study that I was reading recently was talking about how. Um, in, in tracking um, women in pregnancies, the article really highlighted how generally people will begin to modify their drinking behavior based on life circumstance and when they get into a position, a particular point in life that doesn't um, really promote drinking. And so for women in particular, when women become pregnant, generally they stop drinking and they, they remain abstinent through at least the nursing period, but often on into the, the formative years of a child's life. And what this article was was noticing in their study was that the women who um, who became pregnant early in their, their 17, 
18 years of life were less likely to modify their drinking behavior and were more apt to continue drinking all the way through that period, um, followed up through age through through that entire 17 year period that they were much more likely to drink all the way through that. And that, of course, gives the risk for um, for women, particularly that are drinking when pregnant. Uh, it's more likely to affect the uh, fetal alcohol mm-hmm. syndrome. Now, this is a very disturbing problem that happens for babies that are exposed in the womb to alcohol. One of the problems is the alcohol is most damaging during the first trimester, the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, often before a woman even realizes she's pregnant. This is when a lot of things in the baby's brain and in their face are actually forming, and this is when the alcohol has the direct toxic effect on the formation of the baby's brain and their facial structure. Right. And and I think that, you know, somebody that is actively wanting to have a child, um, like you said, you know, they're they're watching their consumption of alcohol because they are wanting to conceive. But it's the people that are not looking for that that happen to get pregnant and don't happen to know it until we nine or ten that oh i should stop drinking well it's already too late potentially the risk is already there right unfortunately the the journal of the american medical association the pediatrics um journal is has completed a study that looks at the global around the world not just in the US not just in North America but around the world that the prevalence of fetal alcohol syndrome is actually much higher than we would have expected some of it is that it's not diagnosed until later but some of it is that we are seeing actually more and more women using alcohol and we're seeing more and more women giving birth, unfortunately, it's now estimated that one in every 13 women who um, gives birth, gives birth to a baby that's been affected by alcohol and would meet the criteria for fetal alcohol syndrome. If the woman is an alcoholic or has been actively drinking in the pregnancy, it's one out of three. So one out of three births um, to someone actively drinking uh, will result in fetal alcohol syndrome. And there are a number of things that happen to kids when they have fetal alcohol syndrome. Often their heads are much smaller than we would have expected. Their brains are smaller. This is one of the primary causes of mental retardation in children, and certainly as they grow up, they don't lose that, unfortunately. There are some facial characteristics that are really common that you see in someone who has fetal alcohol syndrome. They often have difficulty just with development. They are more likely to be low-weight babies and more likely to be babies that don't grow and, um, and, and fill out and get chubby and round um, as quickly as other babies. So there are some developmental delays that you see in terms of walking and talking and other things that happen. And this is pretty tragic when you think this is preventable. This mm-hmm. is a preventable 
but serious and high cost um, to society to have uh, babies born with um, fetal alcohol syndrome. Globally, it's estimated that 8 out of 1,000 people have fetal alcohol syndrome around the world. That's a a fair number of people. And um, it's largely preventable. So it's it's very scary that we are we're seeing this kind of effect not just on the woman and certainly we know uh, all of the effects that alcohol can have physically on you. Um, it's not just that risk. It's not the risk of drunk driving. It's not that. It's it's a risk now to a to an unborn child who's now going to suffer and struggle for the rest of their life with this. What I, what I think is interesting in, in hearing these statistics is that, at least from my perspective, we see, we see young women coming in for treatment, usually for other um, you know, opiates, maybe amphetamines, marijuana. anything marijuana, but not generally for alcohol in the younger ages. Generally, when we see alcohol with a woman, it's usually in mid-40s on up. Right. Um, And I think with all of these new statistics coming at us that soon we should be seeing women coming for treatment for alcohol quicker. But it doesn't seem to have caught up yet. And, again, I think it's just like uh, we've seen with our other patients, they aren't realizing... That they have that. That they're drinking alcoholically and that they're having a problem. Well, and I think that the trajectory towards first drink to treatment for alcohol is still about 10 years. Yes. Regardless of, of when they're starting. Um, I mean, there are some some cases where their, their trajectory from first drink to treatment has been two years or something and, mm-hmm. and those are always when they arrive at treatment such a profound family history of addiction it's it's incredibly easy to track the progression of the disease in those people but still the the 30 year olds and and that group um i imagine are seeking treatment at a at an increasing rate well and and when you look at when you look at uh the statistics you were talking about where um the mother sometimes will stop drinking from pregnancy um, through their formative years. They might then drink very slowly, but once the kids go off to college and once the, you know, sort of the mother role is sort of taken away, then it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to go see the women's group that drinks wine in the afternoon, and then I'm going to go see the um, Bible study group, and we have a you know little glass of wine amongst us, and all of a sudden, these women that had no indication earlier are drinking alcoholically like pretty quickly, and and the the trajectory for them is so quick to start having problems. The thing that I think about with the last study you were talking about is is that when people hear the phrase fetal alcohol syndrome. They're picturing that poor child that's mentally underdeveloped or um, or misshapen and is in a special classes and special rooms. But there's a lot of people who are, are impacted by fetal alcohol syndrome that aren't right. that severe. They're on the cusp. They're, mm-hmm. they're on the cusp. They're on the they're on the spectrum. Um, 
but it's having a drastic impact on their life. They have impulse control issues, relationship issues, um, processing, cognitive functioning issues. And it's not something that you can just say. So your mom used to drink a lot when you were um, <laughs> waiting to be born. In her first you know, trimester. So it's, it's not an issue that really gets dressed, addressed in that population. And um, yet we see... Regularly, what happens. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how brain injury in kids could lead to alcohol misuse. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson and Michael Daly have joined me, and we're talking about addiction, primarily alcoholism, in the news. There's a new study that just came out the end of August from Ohio State University that was looking at the relationship between traumatic brain injuries and alcohol use. One of the things that's really interesting and interesting to us at the Atlanta Healing Center because as we're doing the quantitative EEGs and the brain maps, we often see people that have um, markers that look like head injuries. 
It's really common for our patients. Often they've been in car accidents, they've had falls, they've had seizures or overdoses, uh, a number of things that because of their use of drugs and alcohol, they have had insult and injury to their brain. But this study at um, Ohio State was really interesting because it looks at it as not just alcoholics have head injuries, but the, the reverse of that, that children with head injuries may, are more likely to grow up and misuse or become, misuse alcohol or become alcoholics. They um, look at, this study looked at young people, juveniles, kids before they started drinking, who had head injuries, and they followed them. And what they found was that there's a very clear, distinct linkage between those young people then growing up and becoming heavy drinkers. And um, we were seeing before or assuming that it was the addiction that was causing the head injury. Now we may see that the head injury actually is um, is related to that. Um, we know that um, often head injuries create situations for people that make it hard for them to be successful in school or in work. We also know that they sometimes have more difficulty with relationships because of the changes to their mood, their personality, their impulsivity. They're going to be at higher risk for developing problems in school, problems in uh, romantic relationships and other relationships. And because of this, one of the, um, the factors that they're thinking has occurred is that because of the difficulties related to the head injury, these folks are much more likely to begin using alcohol as a way to cope or as a way to deal with the anxiety, the frustration that they feel because of some of the deficits that have occurred because of their head injury. So a little bit different take on what at least I had always um, always suspected. And they're also thinking that um, because of the inflammation that we see in the brain, that we also see in our folk folks with head injuries on our EEGs, that the head injury causes inflammation, affects the neuro um, immune system, and chronic inflammation makes a person more vulnerable and may affect their dopamine production. These folks may be people who have low dopamine and therefore seek other ways of getting their dopamine up into a more normal range. So at the Atlanta Healing Center, what's always interesting is that since we do um, the neurofeedback, we do QEEG, which is um, um, a computer-analyzed mapping of the brain, and it shows if there was a prevalence towards having had a head injury. And so amongst the patients, you know, patients get together and they talk about what medication has been prescribed and what blah, 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 all this information. One of the things they always say is, now when you go and sit down with the doctor, they're going to tell you that you've had a head injury. And what we've always said is, well, you know, if you're an addict, the likelihood is you probably had taken a pretty some pretty good falls along the way, and and the likelihood is you might not really remember it. Um, but part of what we're seeing now from this study is that part of why we're meeting them in the first place might be that they actually had had 
ahead of injuries and that helped result in us seeing that. Did this study look at the types of head injuries? Could this be like the concussion type thing that we're hearing now with with football or is it more drastic? Um, yes, they're they're looking at um, people that show that had to go to the emergency room because so of a head injury. So severe enough a, that they lost consciousness. Right, and that they were um, at least admitted to emergency room, if not admitted to the hospital. So they're not looking at the kid that falls off his skateboard and bumps his head and cries for a few minutes, although that could certainly still impact the person's brain. But they're looking at at folks that have a, a history, a documented history of an emergency room visit because of a head injury when they were a child. So we know certainly head injuries complicate. Um, I hadn't really thought of it in going in this direction that the changes that occur to a person's brain and their personality, their talents, their skill set with a head injury may really set them up in many ways to misuse not just alcohol but other drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a study that uh, it was done in Europe that they they followed um, 11 males and 16 females who were basically heavy drinkers for approximately 10 years. And then they followed 10 males and 17 females that were basically very little to no alcohol consumption um, in those 10-year periods. They they did studies on the electrical um, um, the EM or the I'm sorry transcranial man- magnetic stimulation and then they measured that EEG and they found that males and females process alcohol use in different ways their brains change mm-hmm. electronically the males had a much higher um, change than the female brain did um, and I, I thought that was pretty interesting they're they're now saying that the females are are starting to to catch up a little bit but that the males activity in the cortex was much um increased in in heavily drinking and that um is is not the expected result because a lot of the um, other studies have shown that women who drink are more likely to have cognitive difficulties and are more likely to have um, effects on their hippocampus, their memory center of the brain, and on the cerebellum, which is the balance part of the brain, Uh that women seem to have more difficulty from that. But this study was interesting in that it showed that there was some um, heightened activity, particularly, I believe, in the the GABA Uh uh, waves, and that we, we see that a lot of our males who are alcoholics will struggle a lot with anxiety after they stop drinking or during even during the time that they have been drinking that anxiety is one of the things that they complain about or report in terms of a trigger or reason that they continue to drink and this study looks like there may be more brain damage but the certainly the height heightened activity and the difficulty that these folks may be actually having with anxiety the males in this study so is that is that the study where it talks about the GABA A and the GABA B uh-huh 
um, the GABA B is where the the males right. are, are seeing it. What is the GABA A then? How, how GABA is that? GABA A is the um, the primary receptor in the brain that alcohol, benzodiazepines, and barbiturates have effect on GABA A. GABA B, we're not as sure what actually GABA B does, but. In this study, we, we see that men have both GABA-A and GABA-B affected by alcohol, mm-hmm. where women have just GABA, not just, but, but they have only GABA-A affected. Right. And so and in our, our, a lot of the work that, that you do with, with patients trying to help them get re-regulated after they stop drinking is, is helping them get a balance in their GABA and their glutamate. Right. Their chill and relax hormones and their get up and go hormones. Um, I'm imagining this would this would speak to maybe some different prescription planning related to male and female different medication choices if we're seeing that males are having a, a, a different amount trying to get that balance back. Exactly. And one, there have been some early studies that came out that showed that the medication baclofen, which is often used as a muscle relaxant, is really helpful for people with alcoholism. Follow-up studies, though, didn't show that it was particularly helpful. What's interesting about this study that, that Michael was talking about is that GABA-B is affected by baclofen. Mm-hmm. So it may be that f- when they do a combined study looking at men and women, the women are not necessarily responding to the baclofen. So when they it average lowers it the, out, It lowers the average. Yeah, so the, so the effectiveness is, is n- not nearly as striking as some of the original studies. And this may indicate that maybe for some of our men, baclofen might actually be something for us to think about and to consider. And wasn't, if I'm understanding this correctly, before they talked about the baclofen, but um, the GABA B, that was a that was a increased urge to drink. To drink. Right. So by having that increased urge, they continue to make it. It sort of is a a downward cycle. <laughs> well, and it may also they're going to relapse exactly, right? And it might also speak to males finding their way into treatment sooner, in the sense that they're having a strong, they're having a bigger reaction sooner and a stronger reaction to alcohol mm-hmm. when they start drinking and when they start getting together with all the guys and having a good time. They're having uh, a much more of a release of the GABA, um, and so. Because typically, we'll see males in their mid to late twenties and females in their mid to late thirties. So, typically, not always, but you know, part of part of this might be speaking to to the reality that we do see differences in the genders when it comes mm-hmm. to when they first seek treatment, and the reasons why. Mm-hmm. And often for our men, it's legal. Right. They've so gotten they've a DUI. Done they've gotten in a fight. There's been 
they've had less impulse control and they felt uh-huh. like they were totally safe to drive and they didn't have any sort of special monitors tattooed Which onto their wrist to help them know that they weren't ready to go out driving yet, um, which is where <laughs> science is taking us. It's going to make this safer yet so that we can keep getting in all that tax income from, from alcohol. But <laughs> but the, the truth is that even if we make it safer and even if we have ways to, um, you know, signal to you, oh, you need to stop or you need to slow down or you need to not drive, it's sometimes too late. But especially when they're having all of that GABA release that's exactly. got them exactly. flying. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the tattoo and how the tattoo may help someone moderate their drinking. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Susan Blank, and with me are David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. We've been talking about addiction in the news, and one of the things that's just popping up more than anything is the underestimated, underreported, underappreciated addiction to alcohol. And, David, you started with um, uh, with that kind of comment in the fact that if we've got almost 100,000 people dying every year from alcohol-related issues, and we've got almost half a million people dying from tobacco-related issues. These are really serious. Now, I'm not, I'm not minimizing, I'm not underestimating, I'm not 
taking away at all from the opiate crisis. But there we've got about 37,000 people dying. So twice as many people almost um, are dying from alcohol and 10... 10 or 12 times. Um, are dying from nicotine. So sometimes these other addictions don't necessarily get mentioned, but alcohol is, has been, and will continue to be uh, one of our major addictions, at least in North America, and certainly uh, would, tobacco is, is worse than that. I think, I think, though, that if you looked at both of those, tobacco and alcohol, and the age of the people dying, Right. It's it's much later in life. So so it's not um it's not this the twenty year old tragic oh my gosh, he was so young. Sure. Before they've you contributed know. to society and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And and the same sense that opiates are taking out young people, when alcohol takes out young people typically is when they've been drinking and they feel like they're they've invincible and they can get in the crash. car and drive. So research around that very um, important. They've 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 done studies on the a temporary tattoo that um, that people wore, and they would attach a monitor to that tattoo, and it was able to accurately um, assess a person's blood alcohol level. It would induce sweat, and then it would measure the the alcohol content within that sweat, and it could accurately say what their level was, and if they were above or below the legal limit to drive. Um, and so the the thoughts are not only would it be a monitor to make sure just for the person to look down and see if they're able to drive or not, but that technology could be created that it could um, it could be connected Take the place of parole or or with the police testing. system. Mm-hmm. It could be connected with your ignition so that your car wouldn't start if it was above um, a certain level. Um, it could be set. If there's people in your life that need to be able to monitor that for you, it could be set up as an automatically communicating with their um, their cell phone or their electronic device to help um, recognize that when people have had too much, they might not be able to recognize it themselves and someone else well, can stop them. And even, even in use for, say, custody you know, um, battles, or, or not even a battle, but a, a custody case where where one of the parents may have a substance abuse, alcohol abuse, um, and they're not to be drinking when when they're, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it the the monitor can send the information to a laptop, to a telephone, to any device anywhere because it's a Bluetooth enabled enabled. So it's a it's a wonderful tool mm-hmm. um and my understanding is that you know it's it's something great for monitoring for somebody else to be monitoring it but i i still think that the person themselves that are in the middle of addiction and drinking too heavily they already know that well and they're probably not going to um to answer the phone <laughs> but but the idea that Yes, it is possible to to do this. Because, um. I mean, in the one sense, we are seeing people taking seriously the idea of not drinking and driving. Oh. That there is a much greater reliance on using um, Uber or Lyft or one of the rideshare services that are out there rather than drinking and driving. But then those are the people that are responsible. But responsible people could use this as well and say, okay, I've had enough, so I'm going to uh, 
um, I'm going to make that phone Decision. call as opposed to pick up my keys and drive. So, yeah, there could be a lot of uses for something like this. Compliance would be really important. You've got to keep the thing on <laughs> in order for it to do its job. But this could be something that could be very helpful in a number of ways. And this technology, this is a low-cost they print this tattoo and it's got the electronics in it and can give this dose of a, of a medication locally that will increase sweating and then the sweat can be analyzed and the amount of alcohol can be accurately transmitted to whomever it needs to be or whatever it needs to be, including the ignition of your car. A, a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, another idea, or not idea, but actuality, is that there's now a disposable alcohol test um, that is basically a little strip that you can carry. It's packaged, and, and you can put it in your wallet or purse, and you carry it with you. And if you have any question, um, you know, when it's time to drive home, you just slip it into your mouth, and the saliva tells wh- whether it'll turn it a certain color or turn it leave it a certain color um, and it will indicate whether you would pass a breathalyzer basically and these are very helpful I can mm-hmm. see um, bars using this I could see someone having a party at their home and worried about people driving having people take this test if you have young people in your life or others that you are worried about using alcohol, this is certainly minimally ev- invasive way to determine have you been drinking and are you at a limit that would impair your judgment and your ability to perform um, in driving a car and, and would you be eligible for a ticket if you got or a DUI if you got stopped or were in an accident. But and the thing I like about it is that it could it could become just such a natural part of um, every day of, of a social gathering that you know at the end of the night everybody's doing this thing because they they tried to do that with um, at home breathalyzers mm-hmm. parents would buy breathalyzers and they would make sure everybody blew it. but but those take time and they're they're not reliable if you do too many of them back to back and so in this situation a person could have a container of strips like just like for testing a pool or something and each person could do it and it can just real nonchalantly just a matter of culture create some safety there mm-hmm. that's true right because this doesn't necessarily have to be for someone who has addiction this is for, for the, the occasional Christmas yes. party mm-hmm. or um, other events in which People with or without addiction may have had something to drink, and you as the host or the responsible person want to make sure that anyone leaving is going to be safe. Now, one of the things that you have to be aware of is that alcohol gets absorbed at a certain rate, and you don't always know if the level's stabilized, if it's still going up, or if it's coming down. And that has to do with how long it's been since you've had a drink. So that's another thing to think about. It may not be if you just had something to drink and now you are um, checking your level. It may not give you the total picture. Mm -hmm. So last call, maybe 30 minutes, (laughs) and now we're going to 
have our um, our our breath strip uh, check to see if we're okay. Now that same problem or lag time is that indicated in the tattoo or or is the tattoo um it's, it would it would be the same because be the it's same. measuring the concentration okay of the blood and this is this is looking at <coughs> saliva saliva is an intracellular product so it tells you what's in the blood right now it doesn't tell you what was in the blood 3 days ago it doesn't tell you what's going to be in the blood 3 hours from now it tells you what is in there right now because that's what another article that I was reading was talking about where um, the breathalyzer if a person has had mouthwash right before they do the breathalyzer, it can give it a, a lower reading than what is actual because it's taking it right then. Mm-hmm. The thing, though, that that we actually tested that mouthwash with breathalyzers oh. at a few places that I've, I've worked, and, <clears throat> and the thing that was always true, 100%, was the breathalyzer, the alcohol from a mouthwash might give you a positive breath uh, test now, but in 10 minutes, it's going to be zero again, unless you're drinking that mouthwash. <laughs> and then it's in and 10 then, minutes, it might be rising. <laughs> right. So I think just as if that does become a part of the cultural safety norms, part of the education is um, <clears throat> quantity levels and that you can't rely on one test. You need to know the direction of what direction it's going. Right. You need at least two points to determine <laughs> direction. <laughs> direction is it going and up? Clock. Is it going down? Um, and the the reality is, as we see more and more people drinking, not all of them. In fact, the vast majority of them don't have the disease of addiction. But that does not take away the the reality that. P- even people without the disease of addiction. In fact, many people without the disease of addiction are among the statistics of um, deaths from vehicular um, accidents, falls, injuries, um, the increased risk of rage, getting into fights, arguments. There's still a lot of morbidity. There's still a lot of problems that can be related even when someone is drinking in what would be considered a normal way. So we ask you to all be very careful, uh, monitor yourself and others, and have a wonderful week. We will see you next week on Detailing Addiction. Thanks so much for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. 
It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.